You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. This is Brooke. And this is Nikki. And, and we're, we're the, the hosts of the My So-Called Whatever podcast, where we get nostalgic about all the things we miss growing up in the 80s and 90s. And some things we don't miss. We even talk about new kids on the block. You know what you did. You're listening to one of our favorite podcasts, Hillbilly Horror, Horror Stories, with Jerry and Tracy. We, we love, love you guys. In the days of darkness, men fear not the sword and the lance. Nor did he fear the beast of fire. He feared the Axeman! Welcome everybody to episode 58 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry and I'm joined as usual by Tracy. Hey guys, what's going on? We have a loaded show for you tonight, and we got uh, some cool stuff to tell you about. So what I want to do is jump straight into this uh, so we can just get on with the show. Does that sound good to you? Sure. Okay, first of all, thanks as usual to all of our military and civil servants all around the world. Thank you guys. God bless you. Special thoughts out to the victims of the London terrorist attack. Dude. I just wish people would just stop with this crap already. But we're praying for you guys, as always. And uh, I don't know. You guys have gone through so much here recently. But we are praying for you. And I guess that's all we can do. Yep. Let's, uh, new patrons. We did, uh, we, we put a new bonus episode out for our patron listeners. And it was on coincidences. A whole show of nothing but an hour's worth of just awesome coincidences in history. And I wasn't sure how it was going to be perceived because it's a little off of what we normally do. But the patrons loved it because we got nothing but positive reviews yeah, out of it. So it's just, it's really cool though to hear all that stuff. So we had, uh, we had some new, uh, Patreon supporters this week. Andrew, I'm sorry if I mispronounced this, Andrew Margerison. I think, or Margerison, Andrew Margerison, uh, Jessica Walter, she actually upped hers from uh, what it was to something a little bit higher, so she gets more episodes. Thank you. Meredith Bass, thank you three for becoming new patrons this week. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you. iTunes reviews. We had a bunch of cool iTunes reviews. Uh, I love the names on that iTunes. The first one is Traveling Pants. There you go. Got like that. And then we had uh, Micah Monge, I believe it is. Sailor guys, I don't know if there's just a bunch of guys using one. Uh, well, I don't know, but thank you. <laughs> Johnny Drill. <laughs> this one, the, the next one, I'm not going to give the uh, the name that's actually on the iTunes review because it's Nick Alexander. Nick is a co-host of a podcast called Brohio. Now, Brohio, Brohio, like okay. Ohio, but they're, bro. they're bros who do a oh, podcast well, that's from cool. Ohio. These guys. I always give you guys suggestions on podcasts, and I'm going to give you this one with a disclaimer. <laughs> These guys are phenomenal. They're funny as hell. They're one of my favorite shows to listen to just from a comedy standpoint. Now, they talk about uh, stuff like uh, Fort Fort Wright uh, Air Force Base, and they talk about UFO stuff, And but they also do like some pop culture stuff. They did a story on the Michael Jackson sex scandals, and they did... Uh, the Tupac and Biggie shootings and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But, you know, who shot Tupac? It was more on Tupac, but oh. you can't talk Tupac without Biggie. But 
these guys are hilarious. They also are not the most politically correct guys in the world, and they'll be the first to admit it. But I think the show's hilarious. But some people will probably be offended. So just let it be known that I'm telling you, if you are easily offended, it's probably not the show for you. But if you just don't care about politically correctness and you just want to laugh, give them a listen because you'll laugh your ass off. How about just don't get offended? Yeah, unfortunately, that's not the society we live in. Well, that's crazy. That's a crazy society. But I like to at least tell people, you know, like I said, it's funny. I think it's funny. If you like comedians like Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy back in the day or uh, some of the other big names that are out there today, you probably won't have an issue with it. But, you know. Yeah, they're pretty good. I like yeah, them. But they're, they're funny as hell. So thanks for the review. And, and uh, they gave us a shout-out on their show a couple weeks. So Thank you, guys. Great. We, we owe them a shout-out. This other name, there is no way I'm going to get this right. It's <laughs> S-K-D-O-D-O-E-N-R-I-D-I-E-J-R-D. So, thank you for the review. Uh, no thank you for the long-ass name to try to read. <laughs> sorry. So, uh, sorry. You, it's better that he spelled that out because, honestly. I would have never. I don't think it's actually meant to spell anything. So, I think but it was really just. that's really cool, though. Yeah. It kind of makes you think about it. Yeah. It's not cool at all. Michael Kaufman, thank you for your review. And um, we had another one. It was, uh, looks like it says Benetown. But it's the Two Worst Dudes podcast. That's another cool oh, podcast yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh they're just just really getting their feet wet. All right. So give them a chance. You chance two worst dudes podcast. Awesome. All right. Um, like I said, there's we got here's some of the stuff we're going to get to later in the show. Uh, I know everybody. Please try to be patient. At the end of the show, we will do the latest installment of Tracy Raps. Oh my gosh. Tracy, uh, Tracy. Um, if you don't, if you, if you don't, well, okay, I don't even know what to say. If you want to have night terrors, then you should listen because it is beyond. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I've listened to it like ten times and laughed my ass off every time. Ugh. I know that's not the intent. Okay, that is the intent for me. <laughs> that might not be the intent from you. I just can't. I just can't get my groove on. I just can't. It's awful. Just when I think I got my groove on, man, I flub it up. It's so bad. You know, hearing Tracy rap some of these songs is like the uh, vocal equivalent to watching Elaine Bennis dance from Seinfeld. Oh, it's kind of dance like that too. (laughs) Yes, you do. Oh, so uh, when ninjas stop hawking up along in the background. Oh my lord, ninja. That just totally ruins. Has he got no cooth at all? I don't know. He's barfing his stuff. But here's some of the stuff we got going on. We're going to announce a little bit later in the show the winners for the combo um, poster, signed poster from Bo from Hillbilly Horror Show and the DVD. Uh, We got three winners from Twitter and three winners from our Facebook page, so we're going to announce those later. We uh, obviously have our joke of the day and the twisted thought of the day uh, coming up. And... We're going to talk a little bit about Scarefest. We've got um, some good news to announce about that. And then Bree from um, Tennessee Horror News and um, Promotions is actually going to be on the show. Good. We'll get a little interview with her. She's going to tell us. This is what I, the main reason I want her on the show. First of all, she's going to be at Scarefest with us, and she does um, represent Tennessee Horror News and Promotions. So she actually gets to go out. How cool is this? She gets to go out and go to all these haunted attractions all over Gatlinburg and all over Pigeon Forge and Nashville and all these places. She goes to all these haunted attractions, haunted houses around um, Halloween time, and she gets to give reviews on them. Yeah, that's That's part of what she does. And then she goes to all these horror conventions. I want her job. And Yeah, no shit. That'd be great. And this chick, I'm telling you, nobody is more into horror than her. Yeah, she definitely is. Yeah, I mean, every day, it's Happy Tuesday, and it's some kind of Michael Myers slashing somebody's throat. It's not really that graphic, (laughs) but it's something like that. But, I mean, like, she redid her bedroom, and it's like, you see these things pop up where it's like the sheets and the... And uh, pillowcases and stuff, but it looks like blood splatter or mm-hmm. it looks like a crime scene. That's the kind of shit she does. She's got a whole house full of stuff like that. That's cool. And so, yeah, she is 100% into watching nothing. That, if she, if she's awake, she's watching a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, it's awesome. But she's going to tell us the, main, the other reason I want her on. She does tarot readings, tarot mm-hmm. card readings, and she does Ouija board readings. Ooh. And, what? Yeah. What's that? 
you know. Pretty. I know what a we- I know what a where a Ouija board <laughs> is. What? But how do you do a re- you mean well, she plays a game? No, I mean she's got the board in front of her when people ask, she asks the Ouija board to get answers. <gasps> she and stuff. does not do that. She does do that. What and she's gonna tell us a little bit Girl. about she's gonna tell us about why she doesn't see the problem, but she's gonna tell us some do's and some don'ts. And I, I ask her some questions about the differences between the two, because there really is a big difference between which type of reading that you give somebody, whether it's from the Ouija board or whether it's from the tarot cards. Oh, good grief. She is brave. Yeah. So she's no, thank tell you, us. sister. So we'll have that up in a little bit. But our story tonight is on the Axeman. Who is the Axeman? Well, I'm going to tell you that I don't know, first of all, first oh, and foremost. Good. But we're, I'm going to make a case that a series of axe killings over the course of like 43 years were all done by the same person. And most of these aren't connected together. Or you wouldn't have thought would be connected together, but I'm going to break them down in uh, chronological order to try to tell you how it's very possible that they all could be the same person. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. Um, a lot of people ask us, and we talked about this a little bit on the last show, uh, the Velisca House murders, the Axe murders. That's a famous case. The Axe Man of New Orleans. That's a really famous case. Uh, in the process of doing this, we're going to talk about those two stories, but we're also going to link them to say they may be the same person, which mm. most people don't talk about, but I think that's the case. Okay. So I'm ready to jump right into this. All right. If you are. And this episode is brought to you by nobody, uh, because our sponsors are ran out. We only <laughs> had it for a couple of weeks. Oh, dang. <laughs> but I do want to thank um, Hillbilly Horror Show for giving us basically six gifts to give away. Oh, that was so nice. Very um, nice. And and they've been um, sponsors for the last couple of weeks, and I want to give a big shout out to them. Well, thank you all. Okay. Woo-hoo. Here we go. As I said... Um, the Velisca House Murders, the Axe, Axe Man in New Orleans, those both would be pretty awesome shows, and we are going to touch on them, but I'm not going to get into huge detail as if it was one show, because I think trying to connect the dots here uh, is an even bigger story than what those individual stories are. All right. Those are probably the two most famous cases of families murdered with an axe, okay? Um and like I said, there's several different, the, the Velisca house murders was one family, but with the, the Axeman and New Orleans stories, that was several families killed during a period of time. But those two cases are the two most famous cases of, of basically a whole family being slaughtered with an axe. God, that would hurt so bad. I think I, if I had to be done that way, not, I mean, if I had to go, I would not want to go with an axe at all. Oh, I'm sorry. I just thought I'd say that. So you can go ahead with your story. Yeah, um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm saying it's, a, would... it's a very horrible smelling body spray. I would not want that either. It is not. That's some sexy. <laughs> that's what sexy guys wear. <laughs> okay. Okay, go ahead. Several of these cases across the U.S. that supposedly weren't connected are very similar to what happened in these two cases, though. So that's what we're going to talk about. All of these happened from 1879 to 1922. That's a span of 43 years. The chilling similarities between the first case we're going to talk about and the very last case are chilling to the bone of how similar they really are, Mm. which is what really is going to tie it together. Okay. Now, despite the span of years and the fact that these happened all over the country, there's a possibility that all of them might be connected. Now, 43 years obviously is a long time, but the reality of it is... If he started in his early 20s, and I'm assuming it's a he, and he would have been in the 60s when all this was said and done. Now, if you think about it, that's about the average time that a person works in their life. They start in their 20s, work till their 60s, so that wouldn't be completely um, out of the question that somebody could have spent 40-some-odd years just being a serial killer. Damn, his arms must have been tired (laughs) swinging that axe. He must probably all bulked up and stuff. He's just like, here, Lizzie Borden. Here, hold my beer. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So anyway, if this is the case, it would make this person the most prolific serial killer of all time. Wow. Think about that. I'm going to share several cases with you today that show how this is possible. 
So let's start with 1879. Martin and Susan DeFore were an elderly couple. They lived alone on Icewell Road in an Atlanta, Georgia suburb. Now, on a rainy night, Friday, 725-1879, they were brutally murdered in their bed with an axe. The attack was so vicious that they were both nearly decapitated. Their cap was to detate it. <laughs> That's not funny. The axe used <laughs> was found in the fireplace covered in ashes and blood. Oh, okay. That was stupid. Well... You're going to see that that's kind of the common thing. So it appeared that the killer had been hiding out in a room uh, upstairs for a few days before the murders. They found a muddy footprint that was kind of uh, coming from a a window. So that's where he came in from. Mm -hmm. They also found human feces. Well, I mean. In the room. Oh, from the guy that was hiding in there? I mean, if you're in there hiding for somebody, you're going to shit yourself, I'm sure, for the next five days. Well, nobody said he was in there for five days. Oh, you said? Been... No, I just said he'd been in there for a few days. Okay, well, I just thought maybe if he's been in there a few days, he probably did have to go to the bathroom. Well, the killer patiently waited for Friday night to kill him. Barefoot prints were also found heading to the house from the woodshed where he got the axe. Okay. Robbery was not a motive because several valuable um, the articles and, and uh, money and stuff, including their silver collection, was all left right in plain sight. Mm-hmm. So the murderer was in no hurry to leave the house because he also helped himself to some food and some milk uh, before or after the killing. It could have been either one, oh, but well, you know, make yourself at home there, yeah. buddy. Despite a huge manhunt, the killer was never found, and it's still unsolved. Today. You're kidding me! Nobody found him. No. Do you think if they'd have found him after the first murder, listen, we'd be talking no. about a span well, of 43 years? Well, I mean, that's years? true, but I can't believe that, like, they couldn't do something with that footprint. Well, in 1879, I'm guessing that forensics oh, weren't probably right. as good as what they were today. All these stupid things happened way back in the years where you could not find <laughs> now, They killer. actually didn't have cell phones back then, just for the record. Oh, okay. I guess I'm never going to live that one down. <laughs> so, the, <laughs> the fact that the robbery wasn't a motive is going to be a key in trying to tie all these different murders together. Because it's it's definitely a recurring theme in all these we're going to talk about. So five years later, five years, so there was a gap here, but we'll get into these gaps a little bit later too. Five years later, on December 30th, 1984, in Austin, Texas, 901 West Pecan Street. Pecan. I know, it's, I say pecan, but everybody else says I'm wrong. So on uh, 901 West Pecan Street, 25-year-old Molly Smith was sleeping when an unknown person attacked her with an axe. Now, while she was still alive, he drug her out to the backyard where he raped her and then murdered her. Once again, no robbery had occurred. I, okay, I know we're continuing. I just don't understand how somebody can be hiding in your house. Well, nobody said she was, he was hiding No, no, no. I'm, like, I'm still oh. back on the first story. <laughs> I mean, how can you not notice somewhere, somehow, that somebody is in your house? I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, seriously. There's only so many places in the house, and how do you... Well, if they're hiding in an attic or something, and you don't go to the attic. Oh, I guess. You think they would hear something. He's got to move. Well, there is a story where we'll get into some of that a little bit later. So, obviously, this murder shocked the city, and the perpetrator was never caught. Now, we've got another case of no robbery when they could have. And somebody being attacked with an axe Mm -hmm. while they were sleeping. Several months later, on May 7th, 1885, neighbors heard screams coming from 302 East Cypress Street, uh, the house of Eliza Shelley. She was 30 years old. Now, keep in mind, this is still Austin, Texas, where the one we just had. When neighbors got there and went in the house, they almost passed out from the site. Mm. Eliza had been so viciously attacked that her head was split split in two, and her brain was exposed. Her sheets were bright red, stained from all the massive loss of blood. They found one single bloody footprint, but no one was ever caught. No sign of any robbery. Mm. So this was Did the... he have something to eat, too? No, he didn't have anything to eat in this oh. one. Gosh, that sounds awful. So obviously, after these two brutal murders, the city was in a panic. But the horror would only worsen um, as four other people were found slaughtered in their bed by the way of an axe. Oh, man. 
How scary is that to be living back in those days? Christmas Eve, 1885, two more people were found butchered in their home. None of the uh, previous six had anything taken from them. Okay. Suddenly, the killings just stopped. Well, he should feel bad doing it on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that was his concern, being the, the religious man that he obviously was. No gifts for you, buddy. <laughs> I think that's right into Santa Claus' list. He knows when you are sleeping. Yeah, he does. He knows when you kill people with an axe. Ugh. That's that, terrible. Yeah. So of the six that were uh, were killed, Mary Ramey, Irene Cross, Gracie Vance, Orange Washington, Eula Phillips, and Susan Hancock, all were murdered in their bed with an axe. In all instances, the weapon was left behind. In some cases, a bloody footprint, uh, but bloodhounds could not track down any of the culprits. Mm. That's amazing. Here's a strange fact. The... No dogs were ever heard barking, even though in some cases there were some that were in fenced-in yards right at the properties of this. Wow. Well, that is kind of weird. So you see, out of all the murders we've talked about so far... We didn't kill the dogs? Well, no, I don't guess. Okay. Out of all the murders we've talked about so far, in almost every instance, they were attacked while they were in bed. Mm -hmm. There was no robbery, and he left the weapon behind almost every time. So that sounds a lot like the same person. Yeah, sure does. We're going to pick up the story 12 years later in Paradise Ridge, Tennessee, which is close to Nashville. So now he's went first from the first murder to the second. It was like a five-year gap. Now from then there was a string, and now there's like a 12-year gap. 10 p.m., March 23rd, 1897, a man went to get some water before going to bed, and then he kind of noticed out the window that there was a fire Um kind of off in a distance, but it was in the same area of where his neighbors were. lived. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, the, the Aid family was their name. He rode over and, and uh, found that all the house, the house that was there and all the uh, outbuildings were all on fire. Some of the buildings had already fallen. They'd been burning for so long. Um, it started to rain, so that kind of put things out. So he was able to go to the farmhouse, and he kind of stumbled upon a grisly scene. The entire Aid family... Jacob, who was 60, his wife, Pauline, who was 50, his daughter, Lizzie, who was 20, and his son, Harry, 13, had all been murdered with an axe. Mm. After reconstructing the crime scene, it was believed that the family was in the parlor around 8 o'clock. An intruder killed Mr. Aid while he still sat in the chair with an axe to the head. The rest of the family looked like they had tried to escape, but they were killed one by one. The body of a 10-year-old neighbor girl was later found. Her name was Rosa Maria. She wasn't as badly burned as the others, so it's kind of believed that she escaped, and he tracked her down, killed her, and then threw her back into the burning house. Oh, my God, I hate him. (laughs) He sucks. She was found with one hand raised above her head, and her hand had been cut off, and her head was split open. Aww. Once again, robbery was not a motive. Large amounts of cash and valuables were right within reach. Wow. She's not much for changing things up, is he? No. As in some of the others, he had prepared a meal before burning the house down. So this is just like some just like some yeah. of the other ones. He did actually prepare a meal and um the axe was found there, so that's the same old same old. Now, 12 years, you know, was there something that happened in between those 12 years that's just not being reported? It's possible. So now let's jump to 1911. This is 14 years later. So think about this. Keep in mind, it was 12 years before the other one. 14 years now, that's a long stretch of just having one. you got 26 years with one murder in between that stretch. Yeah. But it's getting ready to pick up. So... 12 years from murder to the Aid family, now 14 years of nothing. It's possible that he went dormant because a lot of serial killers do do that. Um, but he was killing people at a clip in the in the Austin, Texas days where it just seems kind of odd he could do that. My guess is that he didn't just drop off and quit killing people. There either was just no record mm-hmm. of some of the people he killed or... They arrested the wrong suspects. Hmm. So that's very possible. So he just didn't get to blame on that. But, or he just was killing people and, you know, nobody knew about it. Yeah. Because he could have been disposing the bodies or yeah. something like that. 
So on June 8th, 1911, a family of four was killed by an axe near Portland, Oregon. Now he's went from, keep in mind, he started off in Atlanta, Georgia, went to Austin, Texas. And then, you know, back and forth, then he went to Tennessee. Now he's all the way across the country in Oregon. The, it's disturbing to hear about all these kids and stuff killed, but it's, you know, it's what happened. So the family of four was killed by an axe murder or by an axe. The kids were found in the bed, and the parents were found in another part of the house. No motive, no robbery. Once again, an axe was left at the scene. A month later, in rainy Washington, which at least is that neck of the woods, a concerned neighbor went into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Archie Kerbel. They had both been murdered in their bed, Nothing was taken. Very similar to the events in Oregon. Two months later, on uh, September 17th in Colorado Springs, someone, obviously with an axe, entered the house of Alice May Beruin and killed her, her six-year-old daughter, and her three-year-old son, all while they were in their bed. Mrs. Uh, Bernouin Sister found her body like three days after this happened. Mm. After seeing, obviously, the uh, mangled bodies, she ran out and then started screaming for neighbors. Mm -hmm. And all the neighbors came out and was trying to find out what was going on, except for one house. That was her very next door neighbors uh, where the Wayne family lived. Neighbors quickly went in to check on them, uh, only to find that Henry Wayne, his wife Blanche, and their one-year-old baby had all been killed in their beds. Damn it. Skulls crushed, axe found nearby. He came in through a window, and after killing him, he actually made all the beds and tucked each one of them in. Oh, man. What a sicko. Oh, my gosh. Nothing was... How does one's mind work like that? We'll probably fix... We're going to get to a point later to where you're going to hear something that may... If this is the same person, we'll answer some of that. Oh, my gosh. Once again, nothing was missing from either house. And both houses were locked from the inside. Now, this is unusual because back in this time, people didn't lock their houses. Yeah. So, especially out in uh, little communities like that. So, 13 days later, the First Presbyterian Church, all these people arrived for service, but the doors were locked. So, they called the caretaker, William Dawson. He was the guy that was supposed to unlock the doors, but he didn't answer the phone. So a few of the men went to his house and uh, they saw all the blinds were closed. They found Mr. and Mrs. Dawson, their teenage daughter, all dead with their skulls crushed. Hmm. Robbery, once again, wasn't a motive. Two weeks later, in Ellsworth, Kansas, a neighbor was worried about the Sherman family. She'd been calling and calling, but nobody ever answered the phone. She went to check, and Mr. and Mrs. Sherman and three kids had all been killed with an axe that had been taken from the neighbor's yard. A piece of clothing, though, this was a little unique, was actually thrown over top of the telephone, possibly to muffle the ringing. Mm -hmm. So it's possible this was going on at the same time she was calling. Oh, she should have been more proactive and went over there and she could have stopped it. Or, oh, or she or got her head bashed in. Oh, definitely. Two weeks later in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Now keep in mind, we, we went across country and now we went from Oregon to Washington was together to Colorado Springs. And now we're in Kansas and Iowa. Now it's it's almost like making its way back towards the middle of the United States. So and all these things are you know, nothing's like, oh, it's on the East Coast, and then two weeks later, it's on the West Coast. They're all within reach of each other, uh, even back then with, with you know, lesser travel. But two weeks later, in, in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, J.B. Jordan left the door for work and forgot to lock the door. Twenty minutes later, his son heard his mom screaming from downstairs, and uh, he rushed down there to find her with a massive head wound. She was covered in blood. Uh, she soon went into like a little, passed out, went into like a little deep sleep. And when she woke up, she couldn't remember anything, but she was blind for the rest of her life. Mm. So this is one case where he actually came in there but didn't succeed yeah. in what he was trying to do. But she was asleep, 
when it happened, very similar to the other situations, no robbery, nothing like that. 1912. All right, now let's skip ahead to 1912. This is eight months later. He returns to Kansas to Paola. A neighbor was concerned that a young couple, 21-year-old Roland Hudson, and his wife hadn't been seen for a while. So he went to the house, both murdered in bed. Screen had been cut, nothing taken from the house. That same night, oddly enough, a family woke up because a lamp kind of crashed to the floor. And a man was seen leaving the house through the window. They obviously were very lucky because the sheriff seems to think that the same man who had murdered the couple were the same was the same one that was in the house. And by knocking over a lamp, it made him just go ahead and leave because he figured he probably woke some people up. It's just hard to believe all these murders and nobody has a clue about nothing. Yep. It makes no damn sense. So less than a week later, the killer returns to Iowa, this time to Villisca. So now we get into the famous Villisca murder house. June 11th, 1912. Mary Peckham went to check on a neighbor because they hadn't been out doing their morning chores, as usual. Most people kept the doors unlocked back then. We already discussed that. She turned the door to try to get in, but it was locked. So she called a neighbor that actually had a key. When they entered the house, they made a very gruesome discovery. The entire Moore family had been murdered. Josiah, 43, Sarah, 39, daughter Catherine, 10, and three sons, Herman, 11, Arthur, 7, and Paul, 5. Plus, two girls that were sleeping over, Lena and Ina, uh, Ina Marie Stalling, 8 and 12 years old. All of them killed in the exact same way. Mm. Now, Mr. Moore had received so many blows to his face that his corpse was unrecognizable. His eyes were missing. The The uh, axe was swung so fiercely that there were gouges on the ceiling from the upswing. Bloody axe was found downstairs where the girls had been sleeping. One of the girls had apparently woke up during the attack because uh, a deep wound on her arm from the uh, trying to protect herself. The funny thing about this part was every mirror in the house was actually covered with clothing, similar to the telephone, but this was a new occurrence. Three eerily similar similar aspects to the very first DeFormal murders is the same as the Velisca house. So they were the ones in in, uh, Atlanta we talked about. Nothing was stolen. He spent time in the house where he he mixed himself some food, once again in this case. And he had hidden in the attic for some time in this deal. So in the Vliska house, he had also hidden in the attic. So this is another case, just like the first one, it had happened so many years before. Well, I mean, why do you think he put, I mean, the stuff over the mirror? I don't know. People always have, um, I guess, thoughts that mirrors can be gateways and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe he just, didn't want to see himself. I don't know. Because, mm. I mean, if this is the same person, who knows how his thought process is, is going from years to years and years with maybe guilt or what have you. There was a 10-year search after the Velisca House murders. Nobody was ever found in this 10 years to, to fit the description. Now, here is the funny thing about the Velisca House. There's all kinds of talks of it being haunted. You can actually go now and take tours of this house. In 2015, a ghost hunter staying in the house on an overnight deal stabbed himself in the chest at 1 a.m. deliberately. And he says he has no idea why he did it. Mm. That's pretty stupid. (laughs) (laughs) 1914, two years later, a family in Blue Island, Illinois was found murdered in their bed. Jacob Misplick, his wife, adult daughter, and grandbaby, nothing was taken, nobody ever caught. 1918 to 1919, several people were murdered with an axe in and around New Orleans. This is the famous New Orleans Axeman. May of 1918 to October of 1919, most were killed in their beds after the killer had broken into their home at night. Nothing of value was ever taken from any of the victims, even when it was right there in plain sight. All blows from the axe were almost exclusively to the head and to the neck, and the axe was always found nearby. One new factor that appeared in this case, though, was a letter that he actually sent 
to police in the newspaper. I'm not going to read the whole letter, but this is pretty messed up. Here is part of what he says in a letter, and this may give you an idea of his mindset. He starts it off with esteemed mortal. They have never caught me and never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds the earth, I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know who they shall be. I shall leave no clues but my bloody axe. Besmeared with my blood and brains of whom I've sent below to keep me company. Okay, that makes it even worse. Because if it was an actual individual, he's going to die eventually, even if he don't get caught. But now you're saying he's not a human. He's a spirit that's doing this shit. That's what he says. That's, okay, well, that's, that's at least his mentality. Well, I hope that's not the case because now I'm scared. <laughs> so You had to go do a dang story on him. So here's how we're going to start tying all this stuff together. New Orleans, 1922, obviously, you know, was when... Uh, was a huge port city, okay? It always was, still is. Huge port city. So a lot of international shipping traffic. It's conceivable that the killer could have jumped on a ship and went elsewhere at this point because they stopped in the United States a couple of years before that. Okay? Mm-hmm. But what we're going to do real quick is we're going to take a quick break talk about the giveaways we got and then we're going to get into where all this ties together and who we think the axe man is sure so let's do that let's talk about our uh winners for the hillbilly horror show giveaway our facebook winners was keenan kadrick andy villanueva and monica quinn Congratulations, y'all. Yep, thank you guys for participating. Yeah, thank you. It's, fun, it's fun when you do that. And on Twitter, Siberius777, <laughs> Susan, her uh, hers is actually Life of a Dinosaur. All right, Susan. And I'm a gosh darned mop. Well, I think that is awesome that you are. And you just won, and that's amazing. It is amazing. That's wonderful. We're very happy. And um, I thought we'd throw in the joke of the day here. Just okay. kind of lighten the stuff up a little bit. So I was having trouble with the website earlier today. Mm-hmm. So I called a friend of mine that's in IT. He's used to, to kind of solving these little problems. Yeah. And he said, have you disabled your cookies? And I said, well, I one time bit the legs off of a gingerbread man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Lame. You know it was funny. No. It was all right. Okay. So let's get back into this this Axeman deal. Here's where we're going to try to make a, a connection and why we're making this connection. Now, in the years leading up to the DeFore murder, which was the very first one, okay, seven million German immigrants came to America. It doubled the population of German immigrants just in that couple-year period. Is it possible... That somebody came in through Savannah, because that's where a lot of these people were coming, through the Savannah area. Savannah's only a couple-hour trip mm-hmm. to Atlanta, Georgia. Is it possible that an immigrant from Germany could have came in through Savannah and then made their way to Atlanta, make this first killing, and then just started making their way across the country? I don't know. Well... If you think about it, a young German immigrant, remember we said he could be in their 20s, a young German immigrant could have come in, committed murders for 40 some odd years, and then decided, hey, I'm close to retirement age. Not that you would be retired from being an axe murderer or something, but (laughs) you're close to retirement age, and maybe you want to go back to your native country of Germany. Why am I saying this? Why am I just accusing Germans of this? 
Because four years after the last murder in uh, the United States and in New Orleans, the there was a very ghastly murder in Germany that looks very suspiciously like one of these. Okay. It matched almost every single aspect of the murders that happened in the United States. So a German father by the name of uh, Andrea Gruber, he owned land in Bavaria. And he told his, he told his neighbor one day that he had seen footprints in the snow leading up to his house, but none leading back. It was leading up from the woods. Oh yeah. He said he also heard footsteps in the attic, like you were asking earlier, mm-hmm. and a set of his keys were missing. He said he searched all over the place. He couldn't find anybody. He looked all through the house. He looked in the uh, outbuildings and stuff. He couldn't find anybody anywhere. Now, several days later, on April 4th, 1922, no one had seen any of the family members. So the neighbors had discovered, um, went over and they, they said, hey, knowing what he told us, and there was some mail and stuff that was, uh, mailman had been bringing mail, and he noticed that nobody was taking the mail. Mm-hmm. So the neighbors decided to go in there, and what they found was the two-year-old son and a maid had been killed in their bed with a mattock. And a mattock is an axe, but it's got like a pick on one end and an axe on the other. Oh. Kind of like you would see fireman's use. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they, so they find this maid killed and, uh, and the kid. And the bodies of the rest of the family, Mr. and Mrs. Gruber, a 35-year-old daughter named Victoria, and their seven-year-old granddaughter were all found in a nearby barn where they had been lured one, one by one and slaughtered. Now, autopsy revealed that the seven-year-old probably survived for several hours next to the mangled bodies of her family. Large chunks of her hair had been missing from her scalp where she actually pulled it out herself. Mm. As with all the murders in the U.S., all the bodies had been covered up with sheets or straw. The problem um, wasn't obviously robbery. Or the, the you know the motive wasn't robbery because nothing was taken and there was a large sum of money right there in the living room suit or in the living room that could have been taken. The killer didn't leave um, immediately because he actually had some meals and some neighbors had actually seen smoke coming from the chimney a day after the family had supposedly been killed based on the autopsy. Mm-hmm. So he had started fires and and actually sat in there ate and everything else. The killer obviously was well-skilled with an axe because the blows were so precise and delivered with such confidence, according to police. Over 100 people were interviewed, but no one was ever arrested due to a lack of evidence. The heads of the victims were sent to Munich for evidence, but were somehow lost. How do you lose heads? How do you lose seven heads? policeman that did it. You got rid of the evidence. The headless bodies were buried. Uh, the, the maid, sadly enough, that used to work there, she had quit six months before because she said she thought the place was haunted. So she leaves. This lady, the new maid that was killed, this was her, I think, first day on the job. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was her first, her first sleepover. Great. And the farmhouse was uh, torn down a year later, and there's now a memorial that stands there in um, memorial to the family. I told you this thing would be tying in because this was the last murder that we got record of. But this murder in Germany was almost exactly the same as the very first murder where he hung out in an attic and then killed everybody in their beds, covered them up, and then stayed around and ate food and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it does not seem similar, even though that was 43 years earlier, doesn't that seem very similar that that could be the same person who had committed all these murders? Yeah, sure does. If that's the case, 61 people are all tied to the cases we just talked about. Um, the sad thing is, is there's probably more. Because here are some, some cases that we didn't even, that get, didn't get connected just because of lack of time. 1911, Rain, Louisiana, mother and four children, all killed while they slept. February the same year, in Crowley, Louisiana, the Byers family was completely killed. A few weeks later, in Lafayette, Louisiana, five members of the Andrus family were killed. In April, five members of the Gassaway family. November 26th of 1911, five members of the Norbert and Randall family were all killed while they slept. 
January 9th of 1912, all five members of the Warren family in Crowley, Louisiana. January 21st, Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, five men of the Felix, or five members of the Felix uh, Broussard family. And that same month, in uh, six members of the Wexford family were killed. April 11th, 1912, in San Antonio, Texas, five members of the William Burton family. April 13th, 1912, three killings in Hempstead, Texas. August 6th of 1912, several more murders in San Antonio. And November 17th, 1917, three members of the um, Aller family in Virginia, Minnesota was killed. And here's where all this ties in. There was a note found under the table of that one, but it was written in German. Hmm. And that was November of 1917, which was five years before the murder in Germany. So that is why I say that I think all of these have to be connected in one way, shape, or form. There can't be that many people just running around killing people with axes for no reason and eating in their house. And with the German letter there and in the, the murder in Germany, it just seems to all tie that it was probably a German immigrant that came over, did all this, and left and went back. Yeah, he's mean and ugly and rude. <laughs> Apparently. So what do you think? Does that sound to you like it could be the same person? Well, kind of sounds like it. He sure did a lot of traveling on his journey. Yeah, well, he had 43 years to do it. Yeah, he sucks. <laughs> Let's get into our um, uh, interview with Bree that we had from uh, uh, Tennessee Horror News and Promotions, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this. All right, welcome back, everybody. I have a special guest with me. This young lady I've had the pleasure of knowing three or four months now, and trust me when I tell you, nobody is into horror like this young lady. Nobody. She is more fascinated with horror than I think Linda Blair is, so that uh, that says a lot. With me on the phone right now from Tennessee Horror News and Promotions, I have the lovely Brie, and most of you, if you're on Twitter, you know her as Embalmist. Uh, she's all over PlayStation and playing the, the uh, games and stuff on there on the live feeds and stuff, so I'm sure most of you know her. She's got about five, almost 5,000 followers on there. So welcome to the phone, Brie. How are you doing today, Nick Brie? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm doing very, very well. Good. I've been trying to get you on forever, but you keep shunning me, so... Uh... <laughs> You just no, have, just, you just, have a just busy really schedule. Nervous, you know? yeah. <laughs> but you 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 were constantly out doing something uh, when for Tennessee News and Promotions. Why don't you tell me a little bit about about that group and tell me what you do for them primarily? Alrighty, um, Tennessee Horror News and Promotions. Um, they we have been around since April thirteenth of two thousand fourteen, and um, the two two men that actually started it, uh, Jim Jam and Johnny Leroy. Uh, they approached me on Twitter one day. I had uh, been on there talking about horror stuff and all that, and I'm in the Nashville area, Nashville, Tennessee, and they asked me, you know, how would you feel about uh, joining the team and uh, writing horror movie reviews, and it just kind of branched out from there, and I've been with them for a little bit over a year now, and I absolutely love it. I, I cover all kinds of stuff now. I, like I said, I started with the horror movie reviews, and then I actually um, branched off into horror conventions, and also do haunted attraction reviews as well. How many um, conventions would you say you probably do a year? Uh, this year, let me see here. I have to sit here and count. My first one this year was in January. Um, it was HauntCon down here in Nashville, and that was so amazing. We got to uh, actually go to a lot of the haunted attractions that opened up down here, which uh, we know, you know, the majority of all of them here, we're all pretty close. And uh, that that was great. Um, and let me see, one, two, I think I'll have gone to four this year. And you're getting ready to be at Scarefest, which is why I'm having you on. The, the main reason the timing is, is what it is. In two weeks, we got Scarefest Fest in Lexington, and you're going to be there with us. Yes, I sure am. I cannot wait, actually. Um, I'll tell you what, I... Um, I see, when was it? Last month, I was there um, working with Troma at the Days of the Dead Indianapolis mm-hmm. one. That was the last one I was at. And uh, I was just thinking about Linda Blair when you were talking about her earlier. She's the only one out of any horror flick that I've ever watched my entire life that can just terrify the heck out of me. <laughs> and I'm so proud that she's not going to be at Scarefest. She was at the last one I worked for, and I, I was terrified. I was scared to even go down that area. It was horrible. 
Yeah, they were uh, they were in Louisville. I think the first weekend of September, and I right. wa- I wanted to get down there and couldn't get down there. But uh, of course, we got you know the King of Kings. Well, you won't agree with that, uh, but Freddy Krueger, Robert England, to be with us. Um, <laughs> yeah. Of course, anybody who follows you knows that you are a complete Michael Myers freak. So there is no uh, replacement in the uh, slasher films other than Michael Myers, as far as you're concerned. That's right. Um, I'm people. It's a running joke on Twitter and on Instagram, and uh, especially like uh, people around the area that know me for the horror events and stuff. They always come up to me and they're like, "Hey, where's your boyfriend, Michael Myers?" Or um, if I'm at a haunted attraction, they'll say, "Hey, I just saw your boyfriend in there." <laughs> Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Bree, um, some of the stuff that she has, you actually have a signed mask, correct? Yes. She also has a knife, a butcher knife that she just purchased that has like a uh, a lasered uh, picture of Michael Myers on the blade. I sure do. Um, we're uh, with Tennessee Horror News. I'm getting ready to uh, do those uh, monthly subscription. Uh, unboxings on the YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one, yeah, and I got that for that because everybody seems like every time I see one of those unboxing channels, they always have a special, like, little little knife, you know, butcher knife, whatever that they open it with. And I thought, what better than to buy something, especially off of a friend of mine that's on Twitter that makes this kind of stuff? And I saw the Michael Myers one and I just thought, you know, it was less than $8 on Etsy and I had to jump on that. What's the over under on Michael Myers t shirts that you have? I'm placing it at about 37 <laughs> You know, unfortunately, um, I don't have as many as I wish I did. Um, I think I have more Tennessee Horror News shirts, which kind of <laughs> makes sense, really. I, I think I have. Uh, I think I have about five or six Michael Myers shirts, which is pretty sad, actually. You'd think I'd be wearing more of my boyfriend, you know. You would think. You know, it, <laughs> I've been super excited about meeting you in person because we've not met in person. And we just, we, we rented tables right next to each other for Scarefest. And then just found out last night that um, they are moving us to a booth. So after three or four months of thinking we're going to be side by side during this thing, <laughs> we're actually going to be now separated by quite a little bit from where uh, your table is going to be to where others, uh, our booth is. But, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity for us. And, and like you said, uh, you know, you're used to going to these things. So you got so many friends at these functions. We don't know anybody. So um, it'd be unique for us, but the same old, same old for you. Oh, yeah, and I'm, I've, I've actually never been to the Scarefest, so I'm really, really, really excited to go to this one. This is one that I've never checked out before, and this year, I believe they are saying that they're celebrating 10 years of terror, yep. so it should be pretty awesome, too. Yeah, it's 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 got a lot of people there, and uh, <laughs> Tracy Lords is going to be there, which, oddly enough, uh, we had just watched her on Celebrity Wife Swap this morning. And I didn't even oh, really? real, yeah I didn't even realize she was going to be there. And then I looked after the fact, and I was like, I can't believe that we just watched her this morning, and she's actually going to be there. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see. Oh, so many people actually. Um, but I would say my top ones will be obviously Robert England, the man Freddy Krueger himself, Kane Hodder. Uh, when I worked uh, the Days of the Dead indie. He was staying a couple hotel rooms down from me, and I had no idea until that Saturday morning. Um, I went to go catch my elevator to go downstairs to work and he caught the elevator with me and so did Ken Forey, which was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> so Kane, I could see him. That's neat. Yeah. Kane's there every year almost. I think he's been there at least the last three or four years that I've went. He's a, he's a regular staple there. Yeah. It's, it's just, there's a, a plethora of people going to be there that just the ghost brothers are going to be there. I'm kind of excited about mm-hmm. that. Chip coffee will be there. He's at most of those things, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you on is not just to talk about Scarefest stuff. You actually um, are familiar with a couple of topics that I'm not real familiar with, and I thought it would be nice for you to share some of your insight uh, on uh, a couple of topics. First of all, you do readings, not not a professional by any means, but you're pretty well versed in, in doing readings for tarot cards and for Ouija boards. So you don't yes. see anything wrong with either one of those things, correct? I, you know, honestly, I, I don't. I see them as a divination tool. I don't see them as negative things. They are what you make them, I feel like. A lot of people are just terrified of them. And and, I, and me being one of them, I, not so much with the, the tarot readings, but with the uh, Ouija boards, I have n- not had good experiences and 
I basically won't go around one. That's just my personal take on it. And but the but the the card readings are different. I, I've I've got a a young lady friend of mine. Uh, she she actually does some of this. Here's my question for you on that. And then I'll actually let you tell tell me what really happens in these readings. But I was always curious, at least with a Ouija board, if you're going to do a reading on a Ouija board, it can go in every different direction. You never really know where that oracle can go. But with cards, I mean, the cards are already, when you pick those cards up, they're already in a certain placement in your hand. So I, I was always curious about how, as you're flipping the cards over, how does that tell anything about the other person when they're already in a certain, you know, order as soon as you pick them up? Does that make sense? Well, yes, that makes completely sense. That makes complete sense. Um, when I do my tarot, um, I, I, I shuffle my cards for each individual person before I give the reading. And I, you know, another thing too, I always ask like one specific question, you know, what are you, what are you seeking knowledge of? Because with tarot, tarot and Ouija, they do two different things. Tarot, you communicate with your higher self, your intuition, your subconscious mind, subconscious mind, uh, your soul, you know, like you, you look in, inward. As Ouija, it's complete opposite. You're looking outwards. You're not using inner self and things like that. Um, you are actually trying to talk to spirits outside um, as far as, you know, I mean, you could be communicating with, you know, and say you're doing it in your house, you'd be communicating with a spirit that died on the property years ago, you know. Um, and as far as tarot, you could concentrate uh, and, and speak with uh, ancestors of yours, uh, spirit guides, I call them, and uh, other elemental beings and things like that to give you knowledge. Okay, so so on the, on the card readings, it's pretty much going to be someone or something connected with you already? Yes. Okay. Typically, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that Ouija is more outside. So do you have a preference when you're trying to give somebody a reading, or is it really based on the individual and the uh, instance that you're dealing with? Uh, you know, honestly, I prefer tarot. I do. Um, tarot, typically, from what I've experienced, is going to be a more positive experience, um, which with both, you always, you always set your clear intention before you do anything with either one of them. But with tarot, like I said, it's it's more your higher self, your subconscious and things like that. And that's that's easier to pull information and uh, specific specific meanings and such for other people when you do tarot. Okay, you mentioned uh, a more positive experience yes. uh, with the cards. What would what would what do you think the reason for that is? Uh, well, like I said, uh, with the cards, I mean, you could be uh, primarily what I speak speak with on that um, would be uh, with spirit guides. And like I said, the spirit guides I consider like ancestors and, and such of that nature. Um, it's much, much, much more easier to pick up a negative entity, a demonic energy, things like that with a Ouija board than it is with your actual tarot cards. What about to keep things like that? Do you have some, some safety measures, some do's and some don'ts for, for either one of those or for both? Uh, yeah, actually I have for both. Um, with Ouija, you have to be very specific of your intent before you start. Um, there are many, many things that you uh, really, really need to follow. Um, as far as opening your board before you start, you need to make it clear. Like I said, um, ask for protection uh, from your, your your ancestors or, you know, God, whoever you call on. Um, you also need to make it very clear that you're wishing to speak with only positive people, positive energies, none of the negative. Um, and uh, the, another tip would be uh, with closing the session. It's so important with Ouija, very, very important. Um, you always thank the spirits for their messages and verbally announce that you're closing the session and move the planchette that you're using with your fingers to goodbye on the board. You always do that. You want to close that board because if you don't, there could have been other entities, inner, other energies, negatives, precisely, um, that could have been sitting in that room watching but not saying a word. And if you do not close that board out, they have the opportunity to come through and mess with you actually physically in your life. You know, so I'm going to ask you a question. And this is going to sound like I'm poking fun, but I'm really not. It's just something I think no. a lot of people might be thinking. You know, I understand the whole point of closing the board out, but mm -hmm. it just seems kind of odd that just because I can take the planchette, 
push it to goodbye, that that just automatically eliminates anybody, any of those spirits from coming through if they were there in the room. It just seems like, you know what I'm saying? It almost seems like, well, how in the world is just closing the board, keep them from, make them powerless, basically? Right. I understand that. Uh, you know, honestly, Ouija is the one, um, compared to tarot between the two of them, Ouija is the one that you have to be really, really careful with. And unless you really, really know what you're doing, you never, ever do it alone. And you always make sure you have other people with you, unless you're very experienced. Um, because of things like this, you know, it's all about intent. It's all about your intentions. Um, if you have the intent for good, good will come through. If you have intent for bad, bad will come through. Um, and a lot of people ask that, you know, when you close the board down, how do I know that it's closed? You have to trust on your intent. And, uh, you know, just just as, as serious as your intent is, then it will keep keep those types of spirits away as far as that goes. That makes um, sense. But, but, yeah, go ahead. So what about with the cards? Is there any do's and don'ts about as far as somebody wanting to get into this, uh, being new to, to doing readings? Uh, yeah, I have all kinds of information on that uh, for anybody that, that really is interested in that kind of stuff. Um, the, the biggest one that I can give anyone is start with your number one universal deck that most pretty much anyone goes to. Um, it's, it's pretty universal, and it's called the Rider Weight deck and a lot of other decks they branch off from there with different artwork but they all pretty much remain the same um typically a deck is 78 cards you have 22 major arcana and you have 56 minor arcana the major arcana um they represent uh different suits of sort um the minor arcana you have four suits of 14 cards each 10 numbered and four court cards like king queen knight page which is also the jack your four main suits are swords wands cups and pentacles which are also known as coins um let me think what else oh um when you're starting with that universal deck study each card study like a card or two a day write down in a journal it could be just a simple notebook that you could write down notes in uh write down your thoughts on each card and then after you do that, after looking at the symbols and what you think that that card means as far as reading the symbols on that card, and you write that down in your book, look up the meaning of that card. Go on Google if you have to. Use a book that maybe you bought and relate it to what you saw on that card. And because you do those two things together like that, it's going to make it easier for you to remember what they mean to you. Um, and... The biggest one on top of that is to trust yourself. Intuition is everything with tarot. It is everything. That gut feeling that you get at times when you look at something on a card and you look at that person that you're reading for, or even if you're just pulling a card to read for your day, think about what that means to you and how that relates to that card. And the more you do that, the more you'll learn. Well, that's pretty cool. I had the, I've always been... Uh, weary of them because one time I had a deck and I played solitaire with it and I caused uh, two earthquakes, a hurricane, and a plague of locusts. So, oh my word! I just decided that it's probably not for me. Boy, I'm telling you what, man, you really did some numbers on stuff, didn't you? <laughs> Bree, it's been a blast having you on. Um, it took it took me months of prying to get you to come on because you are a very private person. And I appreciate you giving us some time. Absolutely. I've really enjoyed uh, the talk tonight. You know, it's, it's been great. And I really thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been great. It's no problem. We, we love having you on. I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right, babe. I will talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. As you heard in the interview, um, we originally had, had got tables next to each other, Bree and, and uh, Tracy and I. And we're going to do this, um, the whole Scarefest thing together, and we actually got a bump up because the the uh, promoters of Scarefest actually contacted us and asked, told us they they wanted to move us into a way more expensive but way more prominent booth uh, rather than just a table. So I thought that was really cool of them, and um, so we won't be right next to each other as we originally planned three or four months ago when we set this up. But we are very happy to be in booth ninety seven. So if you guys are going to come to Scarefest, that's where we're at, booth ninety seven. Yeah, you guys come and see us. Um, let's talk about real quick. I have uh, I want, just a reminder because we get asked and I keep forgetting to mention this. I'm not a very good salesperson, apparently. But if you want to buy T-shirts, they are on our uh, website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And I've got all kinds of different 
colors and options available to you. Uh, we switched a while back to nothing but our logo. So that's, uh, I think that's just a little better way to go. A little less options, but a better option. So go to our website if you want to get that. And that's also where you can sign up for Patreon because I keep forgetting to post that too. Yep. Sounds great, babe. Well, your enthusiasm is over the top. I know why. Probably because you're excited about us doing our Twisted Thought of the Night. I and I am. understand. <laughs> so let's do the Twisted Thought of the Night. In February 1923, a jockey by the name of Frank Hayes, he suffered a fatal heart attack while he was riding Sweet Kiss at the uh, Belmont Park. That's where the famous Belmont race is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's sad. The horse was 20 to 1 underdog, but even though he had the heart attack and died, he was able to stay on the horse long enough for it to pass or cross the finish line, thus being the only jockey ever to win a race after he died. Is that true? Well, yes, it's true. Why would I tell you if it wasn't true? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm surprised, though, about that. Somebody probably said, no, that's not fair. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean. I would think. but wow, that's it, but pretty cool, I think though. the rule has to be that it has to have a jockey on it when it crosses. I and it so. had a jockey on it. Oh, wow. That's really sad. You know who should be ashamed of herself as the other jockey? You can't even beat a horse when the jockey's dead. Yeah. If that don't prove you don't have to beat the hell out of the horse to win a race. Oh. Or the, but then sweet. again, he could have just been flopping up and down oh, on it. Oh, that's true. Horse might have been, I can need this damn thing on my back. <laughs> well, that's really sad, but pretty cool at the same time. All right. We're not going to wake you, like, make you wait anymore. Yes, you are. No, it's time. The I'm latest. Embarrassed for my soul. The latest installment. Oh, my God. Of Tracy Raps. We'll see you guys next week. Maybe. You will. <laughs> you wanted the best, and you got the best. The hottest MC in the town, Trace E. Woke up quick at about noon. Just thought I had to be in Compton soon. I gotta get drunk for the night begins before my mother starts bitching about my friends. About to go and damn near went blind. Young players at the pad throwing up gang signs. Ran in the house and grabbed my clip with the MAC-10 on the side of my hip. Bailed outside and pointed my weapon, just as I thought the fields kept on stepping. Jumped in the fore, hit the juice on my side. I got front and back and side to side. Then I let the Alpine play, bumping new shit, MWA. It was gangsta, gangsta at the top of my list. Then I played my own shit, I went something like this. Cruising down the street in my 64, jacking up bitches and slapping the hoes. Went to the park to get the scoop. Knuckleheads out there co-shooting some poop. Car pulls up and who can it be? A fresh El Camino rolling K.I.G. He rolled down his window and started to say, it's all about making that GTA.